Welcome to the CFB Paint Podcast. We aren't Photoshop, we're not Illustrator. We're your bare bones essentials college football podcast, giving you the pixelated, crudely edited coverage you need for the preseason, midweek, and off-season doldrums while you wait for the action on Saturdays. You've got Court, Steve, Mark, and Brian, four brothers, college football fans with decades of heartbreak and a few years of ecstasy, here to guide you through your own gridiron roller coaster with all the side drama along the way. Right. Welcome back to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. This is Steve. Solo episode today. Wanted to join after being absent for the last uh, several episodes. Taking care of a newborn baby. She's doing great. Uh, but had a surprising number of listeners actually reach out to me and just say, hey, we miss you. Or is everything going okay? Uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Wanted to just give some updates and uh, not updates on, on my personal life, but uh, just um, but just uh, kind of give my take on things as the football season and the bowl season has unfolded. So I'll, I'll go kind of quickly through some of that. We'll give my opinions and, and thoughts on the national championship game. Uh, today is the 7th of January. So to timestamp this, this, you know, this should go live later this evening. And so you'll have a day or two to listen to it ahead of the game, or you can listen to it after the game and see how close or uh, how, how far off my take on the game is. And knowing my perception of bowl season thus far, probably be way off, so we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, I just wanted to quickly go through a rundown of some of the bowl games that jumped out to me. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain about meaningless bowl games and others push back on that, that no bowl game's meaningless. I, I understand the sentiments of both groups. Really, my thoughts are that... Uh, there are games that have very little value. Look at Oregon State pounding Florida when Florida had tons of opt-outs and was playing basically a second and third string team. Was there a whole lot of value in that game? No, I sure enjoyed it, but there wasn't a whole lot that we learned about either team. Oregon State caps off a 10-win season. That's awesome for them. Not trying to take anything away from them. But uh, that one, the Purdue-LSU game, there's a few of them where I really question like if there's a way for us to maybe see that, you know, Florida's not interested, Purdue's not interested. Could we pull those two out and have Oregon State play LSU? That would be a unique and interesting idea to me. Also, I should say now that my little girl is is with me in the room, so that if you hear a little bit of babbling in the background, uh, that that's her. Um, and if she ends up crying, I'll probably take care of her and splice that out and try and edit it out. So um, thank you for bearing with the less than ideal circumstances for recording a podcast, but uh, very ideal circumstances for the growth of our family. So we're excited to have her. Anyway, let's go through a couple of others that I wanted to just talk through very briefly. Uh, Louisville, Cincinnati, I know that they touched on this in the previous pod. Boy, did Louisville seem motivated to beat Scott Satterfield's suit team. And it was very apparent. Uh, and Louisville, I think, is going to be in a good spot with Jeff Brown. We talked about some of the things that we've seen from him throughout the year, that they're always pretty competitive in their games. They also like to kick a lot of field goals and maybe aren't quite as aggressive as they could be. Um, but Louisville looks like they're poised to to be something in the future with with Brom at the at the helm. Um, a few others. Oh, another one that I <laughs> just seemed like one one team was much more interested in playing than the other. Washington State, Fresno State. I, we won't take a whole lot of time on this, but Jake Hanner goes out. Um, and has a great performance, and I, I imagine he's off to the pros. Uh, so we won't spend a whole lot more time on that one. One more from those early bowl games, the SMU-BYU game. I know they talk, 
talked about this game uh, for a bit on our previous episode. Just some of my take. We watched this game while we were in the hospital shortly after my daughter was born. And so I was a little distracted both ways. But it's funny, right at the very end, one of the nurses came into our room to come like check vitals and, and all of that stuff. But it was right as SMU was opting to go for two and for the win. Uh, and I totally wasn't paying attention. She said something to us. I didn't hear it. And then I was like, oh, they stopped him. You know, he's kind of celebrated. And it was very obvious. So I felt like I was a very stereotypical dad paying too much attention to football in that moment and not uh, focusing on what was going on with uh, with the family. So uh, lesson learned for me. And that's why you've seen in the last three weeks, I prioritized my family. Anyway, let's talk about a few others. I'll, I'll move through some of them. There, there were all kinds of results that to me were a little bit surprising. Like the group already mentioned, my bowl pick was absolutely atrocious. And a big part of that was I filled it out almost as soon as the bowls were announced and before I heard any word on opt-outs or those types of things. Like if someone hadn't announced that they were going pro before the bowls were selected or that they had opted to enter, opted out or, or entered or declare their intentions to enter the transfer portal or, or things like that, I was not aware of it. So from the day that the bowls were announced, I think I did it the Monday after selection Sunday, just did it very quickly because I knew baby on the way wanted to have that off of my plate before uh, before focusing on my family for a bit. So that explains some of it. No real excuse. A couple of big takeaways. And, and some of these I tweeted out, if you're following our socials, it's at underscore CFB paint on Twitter. You'll see some of, uh, I typically am the one that's tweeting from that account. So you'll see kind of my take on things there. But one of the things like Air Force beats Baylor 30 to 15, and I tweeted out and, and I still kind of question like, man, I wonder if Dave Aranda wished he had taken a different job when his name was the name uh this most recent coaching cycle in in 2021 or toward the end of the or, or 2020 toward the end of the 2021 season in, in 2022 is you know there was whispers of him potentially being the guy at usc now whether or not that had validity is another debate but you know baylor now at six and seven i think uh, some of the shine has come off of his name at least at the moment we'll see if he rebounds but blake shapen clearly is not the qb that they hoped he would be uh, at least at this stage in his career so more development needed from from the quarterback there uh, a few others that were maybe a little surprising uh, one i thought sam hartman was definitely either an opt-out or a transfer portal i didn't realize he would be playing in that game so i, I got raked over the coals for choosing missouri Eh, you know, Sam Hartman's a good quarterback. It's really interesting now that, again, I, I'm recording this on the 7th. He is now committed to Notre Dame after entering the transfer portal, and that was the expected destination. I'm interested to see, we've talked about this in the past, where a quarterback has been great in one system and poor in another. Brandon Armstrong being a, a pretty premier example of that in 2021 at Virginia with uh with Robert and I as his offensive coordinator, he put up some very, very gaudy numbers. This subsequent year opted to stay at Virginia when many of his teammates either transferred out or, or went pro. One example is Victor Alumatimi, who's now a, a Michigan Wolverine, was a, a really talented uh, offensive lineman who ended up leaving, but lots of the, the pieces around him also moved on. And this past year, he really, really struggled. Now he's in the transfer portal. He's widely expected to end up at NC State. And that is where Robert Anai currently is now the offensive coordinator. So 
we'll see if that comes full circle and he gets back to uh, back to the performance and, and efficiency metrics that we saw in 2021 in this coming year in 2023. So uh, the reason I bring that up is I, I'm curious what Hartman looks like without that long, slow mesh and, and without some of that offensive system that he had at Wake Forest. Is he able to kind of stand on his own? And when it's more obvious that it's a passing situation rather than kind of that run pass option and and and, and read option, it looks like they they've been that he's been running at Wake Forest. I'm curious what what that looks like because I think he's benefited a lot from defenses being put in conflict like that. I don't know if that will be the case going forward. I haven't seen that same type. We've seen some elements of zone read when Tyler Buckner's been in for Notre Dame, so maybe they'll. Maybe they'll give uh, they'll give Hartman some of that same uh, some of those same play packages, but I'm just interested to see how that one shakes out. Uh, a few more bowl games that I wanted to just touch on really quickly: uh, the Wisconsin and Oklahoma State in the who cared more to be uh, seven and six versus. Uh, Six and seven. Oh, let me sorry. Let me walk that back. I guess Oklahoma State was seven and five going into that game. Um, yeah, that, that one's just one that kind of two teams that had much greater expectations that this year than uh, then ended up shaking out. Wisconsin ends up going with a coaching change. Oklahoma State, nearly all of their roster has transferred out. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on there, but some something is is not something's not all right in Stillwater. And so we'll have to see. We'll wonder if something ends up ends up coming to light at, at some point there. I'm not, I don't have any knowledge on that, but just figured I'd, there's a lot of transfers out and, and lots of people going pro. I think that roster is seeing significant turnover and not in a good way. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if, uh, if Mike Gundy can, can circle the wagons with the, the remaining roster, can replace it with, new new players from the transfer portal we'll have to see a couple of other ones that i wanted to touch on real quick duke completes a nine and four season versus ucf uh, defense looked really sharp riley leonard played extremely well in that game as well uh man I, there's not a better turnaround i guess that's not true i'll get to one that's a better turnaround but that's a really impressive turnaround by uh, Mike Elko in his first season at Duke and for for those that say like oh you know these turnarounds take time like sometimes they do sometimes it's just a retooling and so it, it really comes down to a, uh, certain things does the personnel match the new schemes as a coaching change takes place and how adaptable are the coach is the coaching staff to the personnel that's currently on the roster I think we saw some challenges with that at like Miami where Clearly, the uh, the quarterbacks were not prepared to run that type of system. Not a single one of them really had any success. And uh, up until they put in the the third stringer, and in, in, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, the quarterback out of Valdosta, Jacuri Brown, uh, that's his name. Until he came in and they started running some more more plays that suited him in terms of like being able to take advantage of his athleticism and allow him to throw the ball, but also get out on the outside and, and and really stress a defense that way. But prior to him coming into to ball games, you hadn't seen a whole lot of adapting to Tyler Van Dyke's skill set or to Jake Garcia's skill set. Um, whereas, you know, it, within that same division in the Coastal Division, uh, you, you saw that Duke was able to retool things very quickly and go from uh, you know, a losing season last year and, and the, the end of the David Cutcliffe era to 
this new regime and Mike Elko and things look extremely positive very early on for the Duke Blue Devils. Um, one more thing I wanted to just touch on during that, or right now I'm looking at the bowl games that took place on December 28th. Texas Tech put a hurting on Ole Miss. That was surprising. Um, and that was just one, it was interesting to see because Tyler Shep, the uh, quarterback for Texas Tech, he's a serviceable quarterback at the D1 level. Like he, that's, that's kind of my, the extent of my, that's where I, I think he, he goes, you know, he's the serviceable quarterback at the low power five level. Um, was that Oregon it didn't quite work out for him there. Uh, and he, and he's done fine at Texas tech. I know that they've kind of had a, a little bit of quarterback musical chairs there just with, uh, with Donovan Smith and a few others. Uh, but they had a really impressive performance. He ends up running for 111 yards, and I would not consider him a like a major dual threat. He's athletic enough to get out of a bad situation, but not one not one that I would consider crafting my defense around or crafting my offense around rather uh, to take advantage of his dual threat capabilities. So uh, that was a pretty impressive performance, especially defensively from the, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They have their best recruiting class in history coming in, so. Um, pretty exciting for uh, the the new look Big 12, which appears very much up for grabs. The Texas Tech looks like with Joey McGuire leading as head coach and with his connections to high school coaches in the state of Texas that they might be poised to, to assert themselves in that top tier uh, of the new look Big 12 as uh, Texas and Oklahoma in, in a few years will be moving out. Um, Texas Tech, this is the first year they've actually beat both of those programs in the same year. And so they appear on the rise, 8-5 season. Congratulations to them. Uh, Kansas and Arkansas, I feel like we have to now call Kansas Kinsaw after uh, losing in triple overtime. Hat tip to them for scoring 18 points in the fourth quarter to force an overtime. Really interesting targeting call right at the end of this game. I know that the, the other brothers touched on this. Just wanted to give my take on it. I, I saw that one. I saw the one in the, the TCU-Michigan game. Uh, both, to me, look like targeting in terms of just like strictly by the letter of the law. Yes, was it targeting? I would love to see that. Uh, love to see the the, the rule re, readjusted so that it's, you know, there's some level of intent or uh, also just a, a duty for the offensive player to protect themselves rather than dropping their, their helmet into the strike zone. Um, neither of those, I mean, that didn't happen on either of the plays, but just I, while we're talking about targeting, that's something I was on my mind and thought that that rule could, again, potentially be revised. And even, I might even think that they're similar to what they used to have with face masks, where there used to be a five-yard and a 15-yard variety, depending on the severity I wonder if there could be something like that where there's a 10-yard penalty for a, an incidental targeting and then a 15-yard and ejection for uh, for the more severe form of targeting where there's clearly intent. And I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking out loud there. There's, there's something we need to do about that. But I, I agree that um, the targeting could it have been called in the Arkansas-Kansas game. Yeah, do I like it called there? I, I don't know. Again, I was rooting for Kansas, so it ended up benefiting the side that I was pulling for. At the same time, if I'm Arkansas, I'm, I'm feeling pretty. I, I'm feeling like the refs didn't didn't really kind of hold up the spirit of the law there when we made a tackle right at the very end of the game to potentially 
prevent uh, overtime from taking place at all. And they end up winning the game in triple overtime. Really fun game. I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second here. I understand with the overtime game again with LSU and Texas A&M several years ago that went to seven overtimes, like there, that becomes a player safety issue. I think where it's the current rule is that we do one overtime uh, with the more traditional rules where each team starts on the 25 and they, if they score a touchdown, they can kick an extra point or go for two. It's really up to them. And then the second overtime, both teams, if they score touchdowns, need to go for two. And, and then, and then subsequent overtimes are just a two point conversion try. I really feel like, um, I don't know. I, I, it feels like it takes, uh, takes the game down into a, a single play. Um, and, and if you've been playing and you're not at that even for through four quarters, it feels so unfair to lose it on one play uh, in, in like a, a triple overtime or a fourth overtime. So that might be something that we could potentially explore in the future. I, I wish they would arrange it such that the, the players have an opportunity to sort it out over uh, over several plays rather than just making it so do or die um, at, at the end. That, that's the one thing that I kind of wish we, we would see is like maybe give that once they've gone three overtimes, then that fourth overtime is where you go for two. Uh, even if it's just another overtime period, give them another chance to sort it out with uh, the opportunity. Because if you think about football, it, it really is about how you how you how you respond to adversity. There's there's things in almost every game where I mean, heck, in the playoff games, we saw both the teams go from down, uh, you know, Georgia was down 14. They end up coming back to win the game. Michigan at one point was down 21-3 and you know, had opportunities right toward the end of the game to potentially go and win the game. And if you truncate the the amount of time that uh, the, the players have the opportunity to make those adjustments and, and to respond to adversity, I, I just would like to see it played out more on the field, not with just like this one play and then all of a sudden it's over. I understand the, the concerns about player health and, and safety and, and not wanting them to play so much past what what our typical typical game would be. I, I don't know. I'd be interested to hear players' opinions on on the new overtime rules just because I'm, I'm not sure it quite gives them the same opportunities to separate the winning team and the losing team in a way that's, that's satisfactory. A um, couple more that, that I wanted to touch on. I, I never was able to express like my expectations for the Oklahoma Florida State game but I was right there in the camp with my brothers now I will say this that since I expected Florida State to win by anywhere between uh, 13 and, and 24 I was I was nervous because I expected that and and for a couple of reasons number one we never play Oklahoma well uh, we've now won twice and only once in our lifetimes like Corey noted on the previous pod but uh, I just didn't think that Oklahoma really had enough firepower to keep up, and they have a really impressive two deep. Uh, they played Florida State's no slouch. They're they're not world beaters, but they're they're that's a really solid football team. Oklahoma, in a lot of spots on the field, had backups playing due to opt outs on the offensive line. Uh, a, a couple of couple of other opt outs they had, and and uh, you know it just really felt like Florida State could could score at will there and and you know hat tip to that Oklahoma team they played really tough played inspired football 
and, and made it uh, to the point where it's a field goal decided it within the last minute of the game. So uh, impressed. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you've got to be excited about the talent that's still on the roster. I know Lincoln Riley took a fair amount when he left, but there's still lots of talent there. Uh, Brent Venables is definitely proving himself on the recruiting uh, on the recruiting trail that he's more than capable. In fact, he, his first class was better than any of Lincoln Riley's, so that's that's got to be encouraging. I think it's just a, a matter of getting those players to to fit his scheme a little bit better. So uh, Oklahoma seems like they might be one to to rebound really quickly next year. That's my my guess, particularly with. Uh, I think it was just yesterday that Dylan Gabriel announced that he will be back in 2023. So uh, lots of talent coming back on that team. So we'll, we'll see what what Oklahoma looks like next year. Um, another game I wanted to touch on, Washington-Texas. Wow, what a game and, and what an impressive turnaround for the Washington Huskies. We talked about a few of these today. Michael Penix has already announced he's coming back for 2023. So there's a lot of excitement around certain teams that have either new coaching staffs or, or just getting established that are heading into next year with a lot of buzz and a lot of momentum. Washington is absolutely one of them. They took care of business against Texas. Texas, I think we'll see again, had a great, great recruiting class that, uh, that signed in December. Uh, Quinn yours. I don't know if you can say his job is, is, completely solid uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when arch manning shows up in austin that one will be fun to monitor and they'll be a fun team to follow next year as again they they play alabama early in the season and it's in tuscaloosa so we'll see if uh, a good another good measuring stick game for the longhorns early next season um just a couple more that i wanted to touch on real quick uh Notre Dame, South Carolina, that was a fun game. Um, just lots of kind of back and forth there. And Tyler Buckner, again, I already mentioned that Sam Hartman is headed to Notre Dame. Where does that leave Tyler Buckner? I, I don't know. I, I'm imagining he would probably probably enter the portal, but I'm not positive on that. We'll have to see. I mean, Hartman only has one year, so it wouldn't be... You know, it, it it may make sense to Buckner if he thinks, you know, I can just wait that one year and then the job's mine. We'll, we'll have to see if he's he's willing to stick around and, and basically play second fiddle to Sam Hartman. Um, that's the, I guess, my assumption is that Hartman would, he's not going there to sit, let's put it that way. So uh, that was a really fun game. Pitt had a really surprising result in beating UCLA. I did not expect that. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson, we already gave him a lot of praise. Uh, earlier this season he's a really really fun player uh and you know he, he's one that college football will, will miss next year so sad that he couldn't go out on a high note um but Pitt panthers had a nine and four season to follow up last year's campaign where they won the acc and pretty impressive panthers team last year and so back-to-back -back really good seasons for the Pitt panthers so hat tip to them tennessee even without even without uh Hendon Hooker, they were able to take care of business against Clemson. Uh, Clemson, I, we'll have to see. Uh, we talked earlier on on the pod about how Clemson's offense has not quite looked right, and I, I'm not sure it's really adapted. Tony Elliott, but also from Jeff Scott, even back to the Chad Morris days. And so I think there stand to be a little bit more innovation in their offensive scheme. Or you really need a transcendent quarterback, and Kate Clemick may end up being that, but he certainly isn't that just yet. 
we'll have to see what, what Clemson is next year. And I've looked at and seen some of the some of their team that's declared for the draft. They obviously have a, a pretty strong recruiting class in place. We have noted Dabo's reluctance to really dip into the transfer portal. And so we'll have to see what what comes of that. But um, Clemson's one that I think is, I, I could see some people putting them as the top five team or a top 10 team, maybe five might be generous, but top 10 team to start the year next year. I could also see them ranked at 22 and at, to start the year. And I think that that'd be a fair ranking. We'll move ahead. There's a couple more that I just wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, the, like the brother said earlier, man, those playoff games were exactly what we're hoping for when we got a playoff to start the, you know, to, to start the 2014 year was that we wanted to see these nice competitive, the top teams give, give it all. And, 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 you know, I, I guess we anticipated there being maybe more parity in the sport. And this year we got it and, and other years we haven't got it because the semifinals have often been decided by, you know, double figures where the, the games haven't been particularly competitive. But this year we got everything we wanted from that. TCU takes advantage of several Michigan mistakes, uh, two interceptions that went for touchdowns, a fumble on the goal line with uh, just a way in. He, he absolutely scored a touchdown on the previous play on that deep shot where he catches the ball kind of at the one. But but does he have possession before he crosses the goal line? My opinion is no. But also it, it kind of brings up a point where it's like, I understand that that's the rule, but like, do, do you want to create a rule that rewards someone from for like not catching it where they could kind of bobble it all the way down the field, not all the way down the field, but like bobble it further down the field and then catch it and then get it there. I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting thing. I, I would love to hear like the the referee's determination or even see like, here are the two or three shots that we put together that said, yes, he's caught it and he is short of the line. I thought it was a touchdown. Even then, not a good excuse in, in my opinion for Michigan, because if you have the ball at the six inch line, you should be able to punch that in, particularly with your offensive line. Uh, they weren't able to to accomplish that, and and uh, that ends up kind of standing out as as one of the the major differences in a game that ended up being decided by only six points. That seven points there would uh, would change that outcome again, holding everything else equal. Which uh, I know that yeah, obviously the complexion of the game would change, but nonetheless, uh, a, a really big moment in that game for the the replay booth to to stick their foot in and say no, he did not score. Ohio State Georgia. Wow, what a game. Uh, that was really fun. Ohio State felt like they threw everything in the kitchen sink at Georgia, doing everything possible to win that game. So nothing but uh, admiration for the, the preparation, the game plan. They That was really fun. C.J. Stroud introducing his legs as a threat when that really hasn't been part of his game that he's established to this point was really interesting. Um, obviously he, he, I, he, I, I don't know if he's officially announced, but it's, it's, he's going to go pro. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if he ends up adding more of that dynamic to his game at the next level now that he's just started to introduce it. Uh, but one wonders what could have been if he would have been a little bit more aggressive with his legs in the past, uh, particularly against Michigan in the last couple of years, like what, what might've been. Because that just makes makes your offense that much more difficult to defend. As far as looking forward to the national title game, really excited TCU's getting into it. I really felt like, um, kind of like Mark mentioned, I felt like they scored against Kansas State in that Big 12 championship game. Thought they should be undefeated. 
And it's exciting to see a team go from, you know, firing a coach and not only a coach, but a legend. The man has a statue there uh, in Gary Patterson at, at TCU. They had to fire him because things weren't going that well. Bring Sonny Dykes across town from Dallas at SMU to Fort Worth with, with TCU. And in his first year, 13-1, and one, makes the college football playoff, makes the Big 12 championship game, did not win the Big 12 title but did win their semifinal game and now have an opportunity to win the whole thing against the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. I'm excited to see it go. I think at this point, Georgia's a 13, 12 and a half point favorite. And I think that sounds about right. I honestly think Georgia will cover that, but it wouldn't stun me to see TCU be game and, and make this thing interesting through about three quarters. I, I question whether they have the quality depth to, to hang with Georgia for the entire game. I also question whether or not they'll be able to the the both the run game and then the pass game when Georgia uses multiple tight ends. Just that that tight end room at Georgia is is deep and getting deeper by the year. I think they have two of the top four tight ends currently signed for this current recruiting class and are not done at the position. They're also recruiting another one of them in Deuce Robinson and another one in Walker Lyons, both of which have not yet made a decision. So you could potentially have like the four tight ends all at one school, which is just wild to think about. Yeah, I I think that that's kind of giving my take on some of these. Now, the last game that I really want to touch on, and it's because it took place after the college football playoff semifinals, Tulane-USC. I watched that game, and Tulane is a testament to just never saying die, never giving in. Uh, like like Mark mentioned, uh, they're down 14 multiple times throughout the game, down 15 with about seven minutes left, I think, five minutes left. I can't remember the exact time frame, but uh, by all means, it would have been very easy to pack it in, just say, you know what, we made a good run. We, we acquitted ourselves well. No one's going to be dogging us for that effort. It just wasn't our night, but they... You know, they, they kept fighting. They scored a touchdown, uh, got a little bit of help from USC when it came to that fumbled kickoff out of bounds. Uh, but then afterwards made the play in the, in the end zone to get a safety, to bring it within six points and force USC to kick the ball back to him uh, and then drove down the field again. Really fun, really fun game to watch. Uh, Tulane, by the way, next year, let's see if I can pull up their schedule real quick. Give me just a second here. They played Kansas State this year and won that game. And again, probably didn't get credit for how impressive that victory was, given that it happened so early in the season. And we didn't know how impressive Kansas State was going to be uh, throughout the remainder of the year. But Tulane next year. Oh, excuse me. They don't play. They don't play Kansas State again. They do play Ole Miss in the second game of the season. So uh, they open with South Alabama, one of the more powerful teams, one of the more impressive teams out of the Sun Belt. And then follow that up with a game against the Ole Miss Rebels at home, I should say. And so they've got an opportunity now with uh, with Michael Pratt returning, with Willie Fritz returning as head coach, Michael Pratt being the quarterback. Um, and I think some of their skill position talent will also be there still. So with that, they've got an opportunity to be to be the next sort of surprise team. I, obviously, they took surprise this year, but I'm saying with the wind at their backs like that, if you think about what Cincinnati did in 2020 and then in 2021, that was one of the things that kind of propelled them to that season in, in 2021 where um, they, they already had the name recognition. They'd done well uh, and had finished several seasons in a row with really, really impressive records and, and, and good wins over tough teams. Tulane's got an opportunity. Like I'm, I'm not saying that... 
we, everything breaks right. I could see them in the playoff. Let me put it that way. It's it's probably not likely, but they have all the recipe, right? They have the name recognition now, both from a coach and the quarterback standpoint, where people will actually hold them in high regard, I think, to start the year. We've got an opportunity to win against a, an opponent that can be sort of a, a real resume win in Ole Miss. You know, things break right for them there, and the, the American Conference holds up their end of the bargain and, and doesn't doesn't look like a mess when it comes to the actual conference standings. There, there, there's a path there, just kind of like we we saw with Cincinnati, where they had Indiana and they had Notre Dame on the schedule, had the opportunity, and they took full advantage of it. So it'll be exciting to watch to see if Tulane can do the same in 2023. So yeah, that's that's my recap on bowl season. It's been really fun. Uh, obviously, I, it, as far as my selections within our, our bowl pick them. It was pretty atrocious. So again, for our premium subscribers, if we ever end up introducing that sort of tier, I think the, the big thing, the selling point of it would be you get access to Steve's picks every week. And so you just know to pick the opposite and you're going to get a ton of cash. So something to consider for us moving forward. Yeah, that'll do it for um, this, this episode. Just wanted to get something to you. And, and sort of check in. Haven't been ducking all the criticism that my brothers have been lobbing my way because of my poor bull picks. Nope. Willing to wear it. Man, that's what makes the game fun is is thinking you know it. And all of a sudden, the, the minute you think you got it, the, the game changes on you. So I, I think that'll wrap it up. Hopefully, I'll be able to join more regularly as we move forward. I think we'll have some announcements around our off-season schedule as we probably won't do weekly pods. It just I don't know if it really makes sense for us to do that. Uh, but again, open to feedback from, from our listeners. If you've got uh, opinions or, or suggestions, there's a couple ways you can get in touch with us. Our, our social media, as I already mentioned them before on Instagram, where our, our handle is CFB paint Twitter. We're at underscore CFB paint. We also have CFB paint at gmail.com. So if you prefer email, feel free to shoot us a note. If there are listener questions or things you'd like us to discuss, or maybe you've got a suggestion for how we do our rapid rounds. I know that that's been a, a hit with most of our listeners figuring out what the uh, the new way we're going to start off the pod. If you've got suggestions and things you want to like hear us discuss or hear you know our, our experiences with something, feel free to to suggest those and, and we can incorporate those into the pod. Really appreciate all the support from you listeners. Uh, if you're enjoying listening to it, please please share it with your friends, share it with your your buddies that are also college football enthusiasts. We'd really love to grow the community and, and make it something that uh, is bigger than it currently is right now, though we're, we're pretty surprised and impressed with the uh, the support that we've got from, from our listeners. So really appreciate that. This is Steve from the CFB Paint Brothers signing off, wishing you all the best, and we will recap the national championship game on our subsequent episode. My prediction for that game, give me Georgia. I think Georgia will cover the 12 and a half point spread. I'm going to say Georgia scores 38, TCU 20. That'll be my uh, official prediction. So 38-20, uh, Georgia covers and, and and wins comfortably, though it may be close for the, through halftime. I think the game is fairly close and, and the depth of Georgia ends up winning the day for the Bulldogs. So we'll see if that's right. Uh, because I've declared it now, I imagine TCU will spring the upset. Um, and I'll be thrilled to talk about how I'm wrong once once more. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.